0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد الا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وَعَلَىٰ آل ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى آل ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد respected listeners assalamu alaykum wa wa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted all of the Prophets, was salam miracles. The Prophet sallallahu wasallam being the final of these Prophets and Messengers, was also given a number of miracles. And we are fascinated by these various miracles. But his greatest miracle. Even greater than the splitting of the sea by Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam. The resurrection of the dead by Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam. And greater than any of the miracles exhibited at the hands of the other messengers. His greatest miracle is a holy Qur'an. Now it's difficult to understand this if we simply consider it to be a book. But the Qur'an is mu'jiz One of the qualities of the Qur'an is i'jaz. And i'jaz means to overwhelm, to defeat. And the one who defeats, or the thing that defeats, is known as ma'jiz. So the Qur'an is marges, It's overwhelming, it's defeating, it's overpowering in many ways. And for the Arabs, who prided themselves on being extremely eloquent. And without doubt, the Arabic language is superb in many ways. And if you look at the Arab description of native Arabs and non-Arabs, that in itself speaks volumes. So the word for the Arabs is Arab. And the word for non-Arabs is Ajam. And the word Arab is related to being able to express oneself. And ajum is related to the roots were denoting one's inability to express oneself. In, in fact, it means dumb in the sense of speech. So that's how the Arabs valued their poetic and expressive qualities. And this was their most powerful medium. So Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Quran and he deliberately kept the Prophet sallallahu unlettered and unfamiliar with poetry. As Allah says, وَمَا الشِعْرَ وَمَا إلا ذكر وقرآن That we have not taught him poetry, meaning the Messenger sallallahu and nor is it befitting him. So someone who wasn't a poet who wasn't familiar with poetry, who couldn't even recall poetry, let alone repeat it, that person all of a sudden produces a Qur'an which confounds and silences the most eloquent of the Arab poets and speakers. That in itself was a sign for them. And they were really attracted to it when the Prophet Sallallahu as I was saying, the Quran is mu'jiz in many ways. And this is just one aspect of its being mu'jiz, overwhelming, overpowering, defeating. So the Arabs were able to witness it as a miracle. We may not be able to appreciate it. One expert Arabic speaker who was familiar with not only the laws of Arabic, but also the poetry and the styles and the scales and the meters of poetry. He once heard someone recite just part of a verse of Surah Yusuf, فَلَمَّا مِنْهُ خَلَصُ نَجِيًّا Which simply translates into when they, i.e. the brothers, despaired of him, meaning bin Yamin خلصوا they withdrew into secret consultation. Now, that's a simple translation. When they despaired of him, they withdrew in secret consultation, or secret conference. And the Arabic is, فَلَمْ مَسْتَيْ مِنْهُ that's all it says. When this expert Arabic speaker and scholar heard this, he immediately exclaimed, By Allah, these cannot be the words of a human being. Just that one sentence, and this is. In the later years, not even during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, this is much later. So, during the time of Rasulullah alaihi the Arabs were really able to appreciate the power and the attraction of the Qur'an. In fact, it's mentioned that when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to recite salah at home at night, the Abu Sufyan, who was a non-Muslim at the time. This is in the earliest days of Mecca. Abu Sufyan, and Abu Jahl, and, and another one, al ibn Shariq. These three independently, each without the knowledge or the notification of the other. One night, all three of them secretly approached the house of Rasulullah Sallallahu wa sallam Abu Sufyan, somewhere nearby, Abu Jahl and Al Akhnas ibn Shariq. And secretly they remained there for a long time listening to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam reciting the Quran in his home. Later, when they were returning home, they all met each other. So they began scolding one another, saying, What are you doing here? Why have you come here? Do you not realize that if the people of Makkah see this or witness this, this will be a fitnah for them, a distraction, a, a trial. They will be attracted to the words of Muhammad. So all three of them were rebuking each other for having come to secretly listen to the tilawah of Rasulullah And then eventually, at the end of their mutual recriminations, they agreed that we must all ensure that we never return. So they agreed. The next night, each one of them secretly came again. Listening to the tilawah of Rasulullah Again, when they departed, they began rebuking each other when they met each other. They promised they wouldn't come again. The third night, every one of them was attracted to the tilawah. Of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Even Abu Jahl Amr ibn Hisham. Being the most bitter enemy of the messenger of Allah. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam, He was a man of letters. A poet. He was attracted by the words of the Holy Qur'an. So, and Abu Sufyan and Al-Akhnas ibn Shariq, Again on the third night they met. On the third night, when they were departing. This time they all took a firm oath that we will not return, and then they didn't. The next morning, Al-Aknas ibn shariq the third one other than Abu Jahl and Abu Sufyan, he approached Abu Sufyan and he said to him, tell me, what did you make of what you heard from Muhammad? Sallallahu alayhi wa So Abu Sufyan said, I, recognized and appreciated some of the things that I heard, but other things I just don't recognize at all, meaning he didn't understand them. So Abu Sufyan said to Al-Aknas ibn Shariq and what did you make of what you heard? So Al-Aknas ibn Sharik, who wasn't a Muslim, he said, by Allah, what I heard from him, I realized it to be the haqq and the truth. But he still didn't embrace Islam. He embraced Islam many years later. Many, many years later. So out of these three, Al-Akhnas ibn Sharik embraced Islam, and so did Abu Sufyan. Round about the same time at the conquest of Makkah. But Abu Jahl never embraced at all. But they were still, at that time, they were bitter enemies of the Prophet, ﷺ. And Abu Jahl died as an enemy. But they were still attracted to the Message, and to the words of the Quran, because of the overwhelming Arabic. This is why they are all prostrated at the recitation of Surah Al-Najm. When Hawa ma sahibukum Hawa till the end of the surah. It's a very powerful surah. The words not only rhyme but the, the flow. The tone, the message, it's truly overwhelming. So once the Prophet ﷺ recited Surah Al-Najm in a congregation of both Muslims and uh, non-Muslims. And they sat there, mesmerized by the tilawah of Rasulullah At the end of the surah, Allah Taala commands, fall into prostration. All of them actually fell into prostration. They were overwhelmed. They all fell into sajda. It was only later they realized what they had done. So they had to make excuses for why they had frustrated. And this is why they actually fabricated the story of the Prophet wasallam praising their idols. And they claimed that Allah, that Muhammad said, أَفَرَأَيْتُمُ وَالْعُزَّةِ وَمَنَاتَ الْأُخْرَىٰ تِلْكَ that do you not see Lat Uzzah and Manat, the third goddess. These are the high soaring birds. And their intercession is to be hoped for. But these two additional sentences or verses per se, they weren't verses. These were interpolated by the pagans of Makkah to justify their prostrating at the end of the surah. Otherwise, the Prophet never uttered these words. The words. So again, the reason they invented these words and falsely attributed them to the Prophet Sallallahu, was to justify their prostration. And the reason they prostrated is that they were absolutely overwhelmed by the force and the eloquence of just the words of Surah Al-Najm, at the end of which they fell into Sajdah and prostration. They were they feared the Qur'an, as Allah subhanahu wa Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لَا تَسْمَعُوا لِهَذِي الْقُرْآنِ وَالْغَوْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَغْلِبُونَ And those who disbelieved, and this was specifically a reference to the people of Makkah, Whenever the Prophet ﷺ would recite the Qur'an, or others would recite the Qur'an like the Sahaba رضي الله عنهم, they would attempt to cause disruption. They would begin clapping, whistling, so that others wouldn't hear the Qur'an. In fact, f- physically placing their fingers in their ears. They feared the Qur'an because they understood its power and its eloquence. It's the new year of Hijrah, and last year when, we did the, when I did the commentary of the Hadith of Hijrah from Sahih al-Bukhari, we learnt in that about Abu Bakr as siddiq radiyallahu an. that Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha says, about Abu Bakr as siddiq radiyallahu an that my father, he was a very soft-hearted man. And, وَكَانَ أَبُوْ بَكْرٍ Rajulan بَكَّاءً لَا يَمْلِكُ عِيْنَيْهِ إِذَا قَرَأَ الْقُرْآنِ Abu Bakr was an extremely emotional person. He would weep excessively. And he would not be able to control his eyes or hold back his tears whenever he read the Qur'an. That's how Abu Bakr would read Qur'an. And he would read with the Mus'haf. So, in the early days of Mecca, Abu Bakr would recite Qur'an loudly alone. So Umm Al-Mu'mineen Aisha relates that he used to be at home so Abu Bakr, عنه, he, once he left Mecca to do hijrah to Abyssinia. And Ibn al met him. And he said to him, where are you going, O Abu Bakr? And he said, he explained about the persecution of the people of Mecca. So Ibn al said to him that, how can... The people of Makkah, drive away someone like you. And then he praised Abu Bakr radiallahu anha with the same words that Ummul Muminin Khadijah radiallahu anha praised the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. إِنَّكَ لَتَصِلُ الرَّحِمُ وَتَكْسِبُ الْمَعْدُونُ وَتَحْمِلُ الْكَلُّ وَتَقْلِ الضَّيْفُ وَتُعِينُ عَلَىٰ the same words that Umm al-Mu'mineen Khadijah radiyallahu anha used about the Prophet sallallahu when he came from the cave of Hira after the revelation of the first verses of the Qur'an. Ibn al without any knowledge used exactly the same words about Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anha. Praising him that indeed you bond the ties of kin and blood. You provide for those who are poor and destitute. You bear the burden of those who are in need of help. You are hospitable to the guests. And you assist others who have been struck and and afflicted by the trials of misfortune and fate. So he used exactly the same words. And he said, someone like you cannot be driven out of Mecca. Return to Mecca and I will guarantee you my protection. So Ibn al took him back to Mecca and he actually told the Quraysh that Abu Bakr, Ibn Abi Quhafa, is in my protection. No one is to harass him or do anything to him, leave him alone, leave him be. So the Quraysh accepted. As a result, Abu Bakr carried on living in Mecca. Then he decided to build a little masjid for himself. It just meant an open space designated for ibadah, just in the courtyard of his home. So there Abu Bakr would recite, the, he would pray salah and he would recite the Qur'an. And this is what Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha says, that he would loudly sit there reciting the Qur'an. So the women and the children of the Mushrikeen would come and stand there, sit there, watching him and listening to him. And this began worrying the mushrikeen. So they tried to stop him. Eventually they approached Ibn al and they said to him, we only gave permission and we accepted your protection of Abu Bakr. on the understanding that we would leave him alone to practice his faith. But not that he, in the privacy of his home, not that he recites what he hears from Muhammad loudly. Because we fear for our children and we fear for our women folk that they will be seduced by his words. So they told Ibn al-Dughunna, you either withdraw your protection or you stop him from reading loudly and publicly. So Ibn al-Dughunna approached Abu Bakr anh and said to him that you should only worship in the privacy of your home and not recite Quran loudly. So otherwise, I will have to withdraw my jiwar and protection. So Abu Bakr radiallahu said, withdraw your jiwar and your protection. I am content with the jiwar and the protection of Allah. But again, the reason I mention this story is how the Quraysh feared the words of the Qur'an, whether the Prophet was reciting them, or whether Abu Bakr radiallahu was reciting them, because they genuinely feared being seduced. Overwhelmed and mesmerized by the words of the Qur'an. Because they recognize its power, its eloquence, and its miraculous nature. In fact, in the very early days, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, عنه, and this is the power of the Qur'an. When Rasulullah received the Qur'an, he would recite it. Abu Bakr radiallahu would recite, loudly. Something touched them, and they would spend their nights and their days reciting the Qur'an. From the earliest days of Islam, this is Rasulullah sallallahu in his home. Abu Bakr radiyallahu in his home, in the earliest days. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu he was one of the earliest Muslims. According to some narrations, he was the sixth Muslim to embrace Islam, sixth person once he was seated with some of the other Sahaba, عنه, just a few of them, and they said that n- these people haven't heard the Qur'an being recited publicly as it should. So why doesn't someone recite? So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, عنه, volunteered, he said, I will. So they said to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, عنه, not you, someone else. One of the reasons was that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he was very slim, extremely, he looked frail. He was short, he was slim. Since he used to be the carrier of the Prophet sallallahu water and his miswak, his siwak and his pillow and his sandals. Once the Prophet ﷺ sent him up the tree to break off some twigs for his siwak. So Abdullah ibn Masud climbed up, and the Sahaba عنهم, were watching from below, and the wind blew. And when the wind blew the cloth of Abdullah ibn Masud revealed his spindly legs, since he was so slim, so Frail and skinny, per se. So, some of the Sahaba عنه, began laughing at the fragility and the frailty of his body and the extremely thin shanks and legs that he had. So, the Prophet وسلم, said to them, You laugh at the legs of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, by Allah. On Yawmul Qiyamah, on the day of reckoning, these legs of Ibn Mus'ud, Ibn Ummi Abd, will be heavier in the scales of Allah than even the mountain of Uhud. So he was very slim. So the Sahaba, the few that were there, they said, no, not you, someone else. And the main reason was, they said to him, that we want someone else who has the backing of, of family. Because his family will be able to protect him if the Quraysh wish to harm him. And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu never had that family. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu anhu, said, it doesn't matter, Allah will protect me. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, عنه, went to the Haram. And there he stood near the Maqam of Ibrahim. And the Quraysh were all gathered there, in their normal sitting place, next to the Kaaba. And then Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu began loudly reciting Surah Al-Rahman. rahman Al-Qur'an. So the Quraish, the leaders of the Quraish turned around and said, Who is that? Ibn Ummi Abd. What is he saying? So they listened carefully. And as he read louder and directly at them, they said, he is reading what Muhammad claims is revealed to him. So they then stood up immediately went for him and began attacking him until they bledered his face by beating him. When Abdullah ibn masud عنه, returned, the other sahaba radhiyallahu anhum said to him, this is exactly why we said to you, you shouldn't have gone. So Abdullah ibn Mas'udah reply was, by Allah, the enemies of Allah are even more despicable and lowly in my eyes now than they were ever before. And if you want, tomorrow I will return to the uh, masjid and recite Qur'an further. So they said, no, no, this is sufficient. They have heard the words of Allah. Even in the earliest days, the power of the Qur'an drove the Sahaba to recite in the Qur'an, even in the face of danger, Abu Bakr, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. And the power of the Qur'an was such that the Quraysh feared the Qur'an. They actually feared it. Even though the Prophet ﷺ was the recipient of the Qur'an, the Qur'an was revealed to him, Rasulullah would recite the Qur'an frequently, a lot. And he would be affected by the tilawah of the Qur'an. This is the power of the Qur'an. The Qur'an Affects everyone. Or it should affect everyone. It affects animals. It affects the angels. It affects the prophets of Allah. It even affected the mushrikeen and the pagans of Makkah. And if the Qur'an fails to affect us, we should really question ourselves. Now, Why are we not affected by the Holy Qur'an? Even the Prophet wasallam was affected by the Qur'an. Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others all relate from Abdullah ibn Abbas عنهما, that he says, كان رسول الله ﷺ أجود الناس وكان أجود ما يكون في رمضان. حين يلقاه جبريل. Abdullah ibn Abbas says that the Prophet was the most generous of all people. Indeed, he was the most charitable. But the one time when he was more charitable and more generous than at any other time was in the month of Ramadan, when Jibreel salam would meet him. And what would happen is every Ramadan... Jibril Alayhi salam would meet with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in a special way. فَيَدَارِسُهُ الْقُرْآنِ And they would, Jibreel Alayhi Salaam would revise the Quran with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In Asian languages, those children who become hafidh of the Quran, we use words sabak and Sabq para para is a non-Arabic word. It means juz, and sabq comes from sabq, which means ahead. So when you learn ahead, that's sabq. Again, that's from Arabic, and then you revise part of the recent Quran that you've learnt over the past few days. That's the juz, and the third thing, which everyone is familiar with, it's a mispronunciation. We call it door. That word comes from "dawr." "Dawr" means turn in Arabic. And this is what the Prophet ﷺ used to do with Jibreel ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ and Jibreel ﷺ would meet in the month of Ramadan in a very special way. And then one would recite that much of the Qur'an that had been revealed till then to the other, whilst the other listened attentively. And then the other would recite the same Qur'an to the first. And in this way, they would revise the Qur'an between them. In Arabic known as Mudarasa and murajah. And dhur simply means one person's turn, the other person's turn. This is how the Prophet وسلم, would actually revise the Quran with Jibreel alayhi So Abdullah ibn Abbas وسلم, says that in the month of Ramadan, Jibreel Alayhi would meet with the Prophet وسلم, every night. And the result of this meeting with Jibreel and the tilawah of the Quran with him was such. That even though the Prophet وسلم, was the most generous of all people, following his meeting with Jibreel salam, the Prophet وسلم, used to be even more generous and charitable and free-spending. al Abdullah ibn Abba, وسلم, says, he was even more generous, more charitable and more free-spending than the free-blowing wind. That was the effect of the Quran on Rasulullah sallallahu The Quran would affect everyone, including animals. I mentioned earlier on about animals and the famous story of Usayd ibn Hudayr عنه, where Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, and others relate that Usayd ibn Hudayr عنه, one of the Sahaba عنهم, he, it's related that he was reciting Quran one night. At home. He was reciting Quran at night. His his son named Yahya was his baby son was sleeping close by. And his horse was also tied close by. Usayy ibn Hudrirullah was reciting loudly. And all of a sudden, his horse began dancing and prancing. So Usaid ibn Hudayr, radiyallahu anh, suddenly stopped, paused. When he paused, the horse calmed down. And he feared for his son. Then he began reciting again. As soon as he resumed his recitation, the horse began prancing and jumping. Usaid ibn Hudayr, radiyallahu anh, paused. As soon as he paused, the horse calmed down third time he began reciting again. Again the horse began prancing and dancing. Usaid ibn Hudayr anh, stopped and then he actually went over to check his son. As soon as he stopped the horse calmed down. Then Usaid ibn Hudayr an says, I looked up towards the sky and I saw a huge cloud, something similar to a cloud. And the cloud was filled with lamps. And it was rising. Meaning the cloud with the lamps was rising to the sky until it disappeared. So the next morning he said immediately I went to the Prophet Sallallahu And I related this incident to him. So as he was relating the incident, he hadn't completed it. He says I stopped reciting the first time. The Prophet Sallallahu told him, Oh Sayyidh. Carry on reciting, carry on reciting. Then he told him the second time that I stopped because of the horse. The Prophet wasallam again said to him, O Usaid, carry on reciting, carry on reciting. Then when he finished, the Prophet wasallam said, O Usaid, do you know what these lights were? These were the angels who had come down to listen to your tilawah and recitation of the Qur'an. And had you continued, in one narration, لَرَأَيْتَ الْعَاجِيبِ You would have witnessed strange and miraculous things, wonderful things. And in the narration of Bukhari and Muslim, the Prophet wasallam says, These were the angels who came down and came close to listen to your recitation of the Qur'an. And Usaid, if you would have continued to recite, the, the people of Medina would have seen them. They would have come down, the people would have seen them, they would have not been hidden from the people. That's the effect of the tilawah of the Qur'an. It attracts the angels. In fact, it has a wonderful effect even on animals, as is evident in this story. The tilawah of the Qur'an, the words of the Qur'an. Allah says... لَوْ أَنزَلْنَا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ عَلَىٰ جَبَلٍ لَرَأَيْتَهُ خَاشِعًا مِّنْ خَشْيَةِ اللَّهِ If we had revealed this Qur'an on a mountain, you would have surely seen the mountain humbled and splintered out of the fear of Allah. So the Qur'an has this wonderful effect on people. On prophets, on angels, even on inanimate objects by the testimony of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the power and the eloquence of the Holy Quran, and truly so. And even though the Prophet was a recipient, he would love reciting the Quran. A lot of the time, Prophet would recite out of Salah, in Salah, silently, loudly. The Sahaba would love reciting the Qur'an. This was their passion. And the stories of the tilawah of the Sahaba are truly amazing. It's related about Uthman ibn Affan that once he completed the entire Qur'an in one rakah. We may think that how is that possible? Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala gives barakah in the time of his chosen servants. Time is relative. We know as a scientific fact That time is relative So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Wishes to place barakah In people In fact in a hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal In his Musnad Rasulullah says That a time will come I.e. this is the meaning of the hadith Closer to zaman, Time will shrink So much so that one year will become like a month. One month will become like one jumu'ah, meaning one week. One week will become like one day. And one day will become like one hour. Not the 60 minutes as we know it, but an hour, a short moment of time. And each hour will become like a flash. And this is a hadith of Rasulullah wasallam, and we are a witness to that. We complain forever about having no time. Even though we've got everything, everything's instant. Instant shopping, instant food, ovens, stoves, electric fan-assisted ovens, microwaves, dishwashers, washing machines for clothes. We have all the facilities and amenities. And yet, how much time do we get? We're always complaining about lack of time. The people of the past, they used to wash their clothes. How? By hand, and not even at home, often at the pool or at the edge of the village. Every morning they would have to go and fetch water from the wells. For cooking, just to light the fire, it would take them half an hour, 15, 20 minutes, gathering the firewood, gathering dung, etc. Lighting the fire, that's just to light the fire and yet subhanallah one of the ulama of the recent past of the last century he explains that and his family lived in the rural indian subcontinent he says and remember we're talking about families women folk who had to do all the chores and household work themselves by hand without any of these modern appliances. And he says, alhamdulillah, I can say with joy and pride that my, the women folk of my family, in the month of Ramadan, with a fast, whilst fasting, and whilst completing all of their household chores and duties, they are still regularly, all of them, able to complete 15 to 20 juz out of the 30 of the Quran every day. And that's in the month of Ramadan. And that was only in the last century. And in the earlier days, it's mentioned about Imam Shafi'i, alayhi, he used to complete 60 Qur'ans. And both Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, Imam Shafi'i and Imam Abu Hanifa, it's related of both of them that they would complete 60 Qur'ans in the, uh, in, in the month of Ramadan. 30, one during the day, one during the night. And that's 60 for the whole month. Even Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, it's famously known of him. He used to complete 40. So one Qur'an per day. And then one third of the Qur'an at night. So by the end of the month, he had completed 40 Qur'ans. And it's possible. In fact, uh, in the Ramadan just gone, it's mentioned about one elderly Hafid al-Qari, who's in his 70s, in... Who's in his seventies? He recited the entire Quran in one rakah, in taraweeh, uh, in in salah, and people were praying behind him. So Uthman ibn Affan, Allah mention,ed of him that he would he completed one Quran in one rakah and the sahaba radiyallahu anhum used to love reciting the quran in this manner the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam even though he was a recipient of the quran he loved reciting he loved listening abdullah ibn mas'ud radiyallahu anhu says in a hadith related by bukhari and muslim this is a wording of muslim he says once the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to me and we learn from other narrations. He was seated on the minbar. Prophet wasallam was on the minbar. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu was on the ground. The Prophet wasallam said to him, Ibn Mas'ud, recite the Qur'an to me. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu said, Ya Rasulullah, should I recite the Qur'an to you when the Qur'an is revealed to you? So, so the Prophet wasallam said, I wish to hear the Qur'an from someone other than myself. So Abdullah ibn Masood عنه, says, I began reciting Surah An-Nisa from the beginning. And I continued until I, res- I came to the verse. So how will it be? How will it be when we shall bring forth a witness from every nation and we shall produce you and bring you forth as a witness over these people? So this is a 41st verse of Surah An-Nisa. So the Prophet Abdullah ibn Masoodi says, someone poked me with the finger and I, so I looked up and the Prophet was weeping. And then he said to him, Hasbuk, enough sufficient. So I stopped reciting. But because the address was to the Prophet wasallam, Rasulullah was listening to the Qur'an and weeping. Even though he was a recipient of the Qur'an. This is what the Sahaba عنهم, would do. Their time was spent reciting the Qur'an. Imam Abu Dawood rahmatullahi, relates a very beautiful story in his Sunan. From Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu anhu says That once I sat with the poor emigrants and the muhajirun From the Ashab al-Suffah, from the people of Suffah Well, he say, they were the people of Suffah But he just says, I sat with the poor muhajirun And when I sat with them, they were so poor That some of them were leaning against each other leaning on each other to ensure that their private parts wouldn't be exposed. They didn't have that much clothing to cover themselves fully. And they were huddled together. So I sat with them and what were they doing? Allahu Akbar. One of them was reciting the Quran and all of them were listening. So the Prophet came out and he came to them. So when he came and stood nearby, the Qari, was reciting, he stopped. So the Prophet wasallam said to them, what were you doing? So they said, Ya Rasulullah, we were listening to this Qari recite the Qur'an to us, and we were listening to the Book of Allah. So the Prophet wasallam said, continue. And then he said, all praise be to Allah, who has made of my ummah such people that I have been instructed to be patient and remain with them. So then he sat down. He sat down with them. And then he motioned thus. And he said, come closer to me until they were all huddled together. And then he said, "O oh, poor muhajirun. Receive the glad tidings of bin al qiyamah. Of complete nur and light on the day of reckoning. And receive the glad tidings that you shall enter jannah. Five hundred years before the rich and wealthy of my ummah What were were even the poor muhajirun sahaba radiyallahu anhum doing Huddled together in their poverty One of them reciting the Qur'an and the others listening attentively This is the beauty of the Qur'an And throughout Muslim history there have been In fact it's normal let me mention a point. We, we learn about the ulama of hadith. People are fascinated by hadith. And we constantly hear about hadith. So, Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, fulah, fulah. We, we marvel at their ability to memorize hadith, to relate hadith. But subhanallah, the one thing about all of them, why don't we hear so much about their knowledge of the Qur'an? or their tilawah of the Qur'an, or their connection with the Qur'an. We hear so much that such and such scholar travelled, taught hadith, collected hadith, listened to so many hadith. Why don't we hear such accounts about Qur'an? They, like, what was Bukhari's relationship with the Qur'an? We don't hear much about it. What was Imam Muslim's relationship with the Qur'an? Don't hear much about it Same with Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Imam Malik And all of this, even the fuqaha Imam Shafi, Imam Abu Hanifa Imam Malik, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal What was their relationship with the Quran? Do you know why we don't hear much about it? Because it was a given It's like asking what was their relationship with Salah Why don't we hear so much about their performing Salah Or their giving zakah or their ibadah, because it was a given. For the ulama of hadith, you couldn't be an alim of hadith without being an alim and a scholar of the Quran. You couldn't be a scholar of fiqh without being a scholar of hadith and Quran. So their relationship with the Quran was a given. Imagine these geniuses who were able to memorize hundreds of thousands of hadith in the sense that each had, each. Separate hadith with a separate chain of narration is considered a distinct hadith, that's how we number them in the, in the many, many thousands. Otherwise, collectively the texts from Rasulullah sallallahu are only just over about 5,000 approximately. But these scholars who were able to memorize and retain the memory of so many hadith with different chains of narration, how come we don't hear much about their relationship with the Qur'an? Simple, because it was a given. They used to recite all the time. As I mentioned, Bukhari, with his traveling, with his studying, with his revision, with his teaching of hadith. Even in the month of Ramadan, he would complete 40 Qur'ans. Imam Shafi'i, Imam Abu Hanifa, it's mentioned about both of them. Along with all their teaching, they would complete 60 Qur'ans in the month of Ramadan. Once during the day, once during the night. About Imam Bukhari, it's mentioned... Many of you will have heard the story of Imam Malik, that he was teaching hadith and a scorpion bit him. The same story, remarkably, is mentioned about Imam Bukhari whilst performing salah. So once he was performing salah, when after salah, he mentioned to some of his students that, come check my back. So they removed his cloak and they checked beneath his cloth. And there was a scorpion clasped to his back that had bitten him all over. So they actually said to him, O Imam, may Allah have mercy on you. Why didn't you stop your salah? And this was Bukhari's reply. He said, I was in the middle of a surah and I did not wish to end my salah without completing the surah first. Their love of the Qur'an was such that they were able to withstand even the bites of scorpions, mind over matter. That was their devotion to the Qur'an. And this is how our relationship with the Qur'an should be. I can mention So much about the virtues of the Quran, the blessings of the Quran. The Quran is a cure, it's a mercy, it's a guidance. And we do reveal of the Quran that which is a mercy and a cure for the people, for the believers. And the Quran does not increase the dhalimeen, meaning the sinful ones to wrongdoers, except in loss. The Quran has a dual power it makes the good better, but it can also make the bad worse. And that's exactly what happened with the mushrikeen. The Quran has this power to make the good better, but those who resist the Quran, it can make the bad worse. And as the Qur'an says, And just as Umar ibn Khattab رضي الله عنه, said, that indeed Allah elevates people with this Qur'an. And Allah also bases and lowers other people through the Qur'an. The Qur'an has this dual power. So our relationship, we can say so much about the Qur'an. It's a cure, it's a mercy, it's it does so much, but today I just wish to focus on the virtues of reciting the Qur'an and just listening to the Qur'an. If we can develop that connection with the Qur'an, the Qur'an will work wonders for us. We, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the Qur'an, he instructs the Prophet sallallahu alayhi to recite. مَا أُوْحِيَ إليك. Recite that which is revealed to you. I have been commanded to be of the Muslims and I have been instructed to recite the Qur'an. To the wives of the Prophet And recite, and this is a collective address to the wives specifically, that are wives of the Messenger of Allah, recite, remember and recite what is recited in your homes of the verses of Allah. The Prophet was commanded, recite the Qur'an. The wives were commanded, recite the Qur'an. The Sahaba would spend days and nights reciting the Qur'an. That was their connection with it. And the Prophet wasallam has encouraged us in the hadith. Like I said, the tilawah of the Qur'an attracts the angel. Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu, relates in a hadith recorded by a Muslim in his sahih. فِي بَيْتٍ مِّن بُيُوتِ اللَّهِ يَتْلُونَ كِتَابَ اللَّهُ فِي بَيْنَهُمْ إِلَّا نَزَلَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ السَّكِينَةِ وَغَشِيَتْهُمُ الرَّحْمَةِ وَحَفَّتْهُمُ that's the power of the Quran. He says, Rasulullah says, Never does a group of people gather in any one of the homes of Allah, meaning the one of the masjids, reciting the Book of Allah and studying the Book of Allah amongst them. Except that Sakina, serenity, tranquility, peace descend upon them. Wa Gashiyatum rahma, mercy envelops them. And the angels surround them. وَذَكَرَهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي مَنْ And Allah actually mentions them to those who are in his company. That's the effect of reciting the Qur'an. Allah loves those who recites his kalam, his speech, his words. Allah takes pride in mentioning them to the angels. The angels see them. In fact, there's a narration from Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha that it's a reliable narration that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi said just as the stars are visible the stars in the sky are visible to the people of the earth the homes where the Qur'an is recited they are also visible to the people of the heavens. They light up. Just as the stars of the sky are visible to the people of the earth, the homes wherein the Qur'an is recited are actually visible to the people of the heavens. When the Qur'an is recited, the angels descend. Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, both relate a hadith from Abu Huraira radiyallahu anhu, he says that the angels of the night and the angels of the day gather and come together in fajr salah. And then he said, اِقْرَأُوا إِنْ شِئْتُمْ وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ إِنَّ That if you wish, recite the verse of the Qur'an where Allah says, and the Qur'an of Fajr, indeed the Qur'an of Fajr is att- attended Attended by who? The angels. So the angels gather to listen to the tilawah of the Qur'an, specifically in Fajr Salah, the angels of the night and the day. In this hadith, the angels descend in order to listen to the tilawah of the Qur'an whenever a people gather to recite the Qur'an amongst themselves and to study it. There are countless hadith of the virtues of the tilawah of the Qur'an Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha anha says, this hadith is actually more to do with those who are half of the Qur'an, inshaAllah. have promised in one of the coming sessions I will speak about the virtues of memorizing the Qur'an. We should all aim to do that, inshaAllah. It can be done, the Qur'an is miraculous even in this. And I'll elaborate on it when I speak on the topic of memorization. Otherwise, there is no other wo- speech, no other book, no other work, no other sentences, words, and paragraphs in any language that people can memorize as easily and as fluently as the Qur'an in Arabic. And it's, it's a fact. It's a miracle. People embrace Islam. Within a short while, they've already memorised few surahs of the Qur'an. Even though in their native language and not just them, but all of us, in our own native tongues, we cannot memorise our own written words. If we write a paragraph of our own words, our own product, the product of our mind, our own little story, paragraph, and we then try to memorise our own words, it's extremely difficult, even in our mother tongue. And if we do manage it, try again the next day, it's gone. We have to keep on repeating it. And even if you do manage to memorise it, it's virtually impossible to retain it. Now, some people do, but they devote all their time to it. They don't do anything else. And yet, on the other hand, Allahu Akbar, not one, not two, not memory athletes, not memory performers, not memory exhibitionists, but normal children all over the world, on every continent, in every country, from every background and ethnicity, and speakers of all every tongue, m- most of them non-Arabic speaking children, playfully, whilst living normal lives, they are able to memorize this entire book and retain its memory till death. That in itself is a miracle. That in itself is a miracle. So we should all aim to memorize the Qur'an. So as I was saying, this particular hadith is more to do with memorization. But It's a very beautiful hadith because the first part of it, the latter part is not. So Umm Muminin Aisha radiallahu anha relates in a hadith kutub al-bukhari ma uh, muslim rahimahumullah that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said this is a wording of muslim al-mahir bil qur'an ma asfarat al-kiram al-barra and alladhi yaqra al-quran wa yata'ata'u fi wa huwa alayhi shaqqun lahu ajran prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said the expert reciter of the qur'an and the meaning of expert is hafiz because one of the narrations of bukhari says uh, hafizun la so one who, who memorizes the Qur'an. So one who recites the Qur'an expertly, he is with thee, noble ambassador angels. These are the angels referred to in the Qur'an. في صحف مكرمة مرفوعة مطهرة بأيدي so these are the pious, noble, ambassador angels who have been tasked with the responsibility of preserving the Qur'an in the heavens. So the Prophet ﷺ says, one who recites the Qur'an expertly, he is with the noble, pious, messenger angels. i.e. he is of the same rank. In this, not exactly of the same rank, but he is with them. In the sense that just as they are responsible Allah uses them, employs them to preserve the Qur'an in the heavens, Allah employs these hufad on earth to preserve the Qur'an on earth. Then the second part of the hadith وَالَّذِي يقرأ الْقُرْآنَ ويتتعتع فِيهِ وهو عَلَيْهِ شَاقٌ لَهُ أجران. And one who recites the Qur'an with difficulty, stuttering and stammering. So he's not a hafidh, in fact he or she experiences great difficulty, unable to pronounce a word properly, having to repeat the words, one who stutters and stammers whilst reciting the Qur'an. The word for stuttering and stammering mentioned in the hadith is وَيَتَتَعْطَعْ And just as is normal with Arabic, that word itself is difficult to pronounce. So in Arabic, words reflect their meaning. So the word وَيَتَتَعْطَعْ is actually difficult to pronounce, and it means to stutter and to stammer, and to produce and to pronounce something with difficulty. So subhanAllah, so anyone who recites the Qur'an in such a way that it's difficult for them, and they they stutter, they stammer, and they experience difficulty, what will happen with them? Will they be punished? Will they be held to account? Will they be taken to task? Will they be deprived of reward? No. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says "Lahu ajran." he or she shall enjoy a double reward one reward for the attempt and one reward for the recitation Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates a hadith from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mus'ud radiyallahu an in which he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said من قرأ حرفا من كتاب الله فَلَهُ بِهِ حَسَنَةُ وَالْحَسَنَةُ بِعَشْرِ أَمْثَالِهَا لَا أَقُولُ أَلِفْ لَام مِمْ حَرْفٌ وَلَكِنْ أَلِفٌ حَرْفٌ وَلَامٌ حَرْفٌ وَمِمٌ harf. Prophet ﷺ says, Whoever recites one letter from the book of Allah, he shall enjoy one reward. And each one good deed is multiplied tenfold. He then says, I do not say that Alif Lam Mim is one word, rather... Alif is one word, sorry, one letter. Lam is one letter, meem is one letter. So for (coughs) alif, lam, meem, one receives three rewards multiplied by ten, thirty. And the remarkable thing about this hadith is most of the ulama agree that alif, lam, meem, its true meaning is only known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, one receives a reward even though one does not understand. So who knows the meaning of alif lam meem? Most of the ulama agree that the true meaning is only known to Allah. These words: saad hamim ain sin qaf alif lam ra alif ra. So alif lam meem. without understanding alif lam meem, And reciting it, one receives 30 rewards. So it's the same for the whole book. Even if you don't understand a single letter, Allah will still reward you for the recitation of each letter. And that's for the whole book. The same Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, whose story I related earlier on, he relates a hadith. That the... Again, from Imam Tirmidhi, rahmatullahi alayhi, Prophet sallallahu said, "من شغله القرآن عن It's a very beautiful Hadith. One who is preoccupied in the recitation of the Quran, and as a result cannot engage in my dhikr and remembrance or even in asking of me in my dua. Allah says, I shall give him more than I give to those who ask. And then the end of the hadith is, وَفَضْلُ كَلَامِ اللَّهِ عَلَى سَائِلِ الْكَلَامِ كَفَضْلِ اللَّهِ عَلَى خلقه, That the superiority of the words of Allah is like this over all other speech is like the superiority of Allah over his creation. There is no comparison, none whatsoever. Let us strive to be of the people of the Qur'an, who are Allah's chosen ones. Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu anhu relates in a hadith recorded by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad and also by Imam Abu Dawud in his Sunan. The Prophet sallallahu says, sorry, by Ibn Majah in his Sunan and by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad. Prophet sallallahu says, إِنَّ لِلَّهِ Prophet said, Allah has chosen select people of, his, of the creation amongst mankind. So he was asked, O Messenger of Allah, who are they? Who are Allah's chosen people? Chosen ones. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Ahlul Qur'an, the people of Qur'an. Hum wa they are the people of Allah and his select, his elite chosen ones. We should strive to follow in the footsteps of the Prophet ﷺ and the noble Sahaba The Qur'an is a fountainhead of our religion. It's our book of guidance. and." we should begin our relationship with the recitation of the Qur'an. Our relationship with the Qur'an should consist of three things, just as the Prophet wasallam's relationship consisted of three things. Allah ta'ala describes him in a number of places throughout the Qur'an as his relationship with the Qur'an, his relationship with the Quran Allah has described in a number of places in the book. For instance, And that's repeated elsewhere. The Prophet relationship with the Qur'an was threefold. Number one, عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهُ He recites the book, he recites the words of Allah to the people. Number two, وَيَعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابُ وَالْحِكْمَةُ and he teaches them the book and wisdom. And number three, and he moulds them, he purifies them, he nurtures them. This was the relationship of the Prophet وسلم, with the Quran, and our relationship should be exactly the same. Number one, recitation of the Quran, tilawa, as much as possible. And once you begin truly, the joy, the Delight. The peace Allah says know that in the remembrance of Allah Do hearts find peace. Settlements, contentment. It doesn't mean happiness. It doesn't mean happiness. We misunderstand. People say I engage in the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and yet I'm still sad. I still can't find happiness. Well, how do we define happiness? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his father passed away before he was born. He lost his mother when he was six, his grandfather when he was eight. He got married at the age of 25 to a widow who had children from two previous marriages. From that same Umm al-Mu'mineen Khadijah anha, he had a son, Qasim, who died in his infancy. Another son, Abdullah, who died in his infancy. He had a daughter, Zainab. He had a daughter, Ruqayya. He had a daughter, Umm Kulthum. He had a daughter, Fatima. In his own lifetime, he witnessed the passing away. Well at the age of 50 he lost his dear uncle Abu Talib he lost his wife Ummul Mu'minin Khadijah radiyallahu anha she passed away then from the children from that marriage Qasim had already passed away Abdullah had already passed away Prophet sallallahu witnessed the death of his daughter Zainab and then Ruqayyah and then Um Kulthum the only one surviving was Fatima Rudiallahu Anha. He lost all of his sons in infancy, and then in the eighth year of Hijra a son was born to him from Maria Quddiya Anha Ibrahim. And within eighteen to twenty months Ibrahim Rudiallahu an passed away in the arms of Rasulullah. He lost all his children. The only one surviving child was Fatima رضي الله عنها. And even her, he told her, even she, he told her that of my whole family, you will be the first to meet me after my death. And indeed, six months after he passed away, she joined him. He had no siblings, no brothers, no sisters. The Prophet وسلم, was driven from his home. He faced opposition in Mecca. He suffered abuse, persecution, filth thrown on him thorns strewn in his path. He suffered abuse. He He had to abandon the city of Mecca, even though it was the most beloved place to him. Upon arrival in Mecca, there were attempts on his life in Mecca and in Medina. He suffered trial after trial, musibah after musibah. He suffered poverty. And he continued, even after the coffers of Medina became filled, He continued to live in simplicity and poverty. So what is happiness? How could someone be happy with our understanding of the word, having lived such a life? Yet, the Prophet was content. So there's a difference between contentment, the heart being settled, and being happy. When Allah says, Allah is not telling you that with the dhikr of Allah you will be happy, i.e. the way we understand it. Rather, Allah is promising itmi'nan and itmi'nan means to be settled. That's what it means. It doesn't mean joy, it doesn't mean bliss, it doesn't mean happiness, it means settlement. دمانينة, imagine a coin, when you flip a coin and the coin rotates and then rattles and continues to rattle before it settles. That, When it settles finally, that final settlement is known as and tumanina. That's what Allah promises. So, when Allah says, Ala bi Allahi It's not joy, it's not bliss, it's not happiness, it's contentment. When you are at ease and you are at peace within and with, with everything and everyone around you, even though you may be afflicted by misfortune and trials. That's the promise of Allah, Ala bi Allahi And the most contentment you will feel, even more than normal dhikr, is in the tilawah and the recitation of the Qur'an. There are countless people. I knew one elderly hafiz of the Qur'an who suffered a lot throughout his life. And in his later years, Allahu Akbar, his practice was, he used to wake up in the morning, after Fajr, he used to begin Dilawah of the Qur'an. And even though he was a hafiz and he knew the Quran very well, he actually used to never used to recite by heart. He used to recite with the Quran. And that's a unique point. Most of the ulama actually agree. There's a discussion. Is it better to recite by heart or is it better to recite whilst looking in the Quran, the Mushaf? And most ulama agree that it's actually better to recite by looking into the Qur'an, in the Mus'haf, in the book, even though you may be a Hafiz of the Qur'an. It's actually better. And that's how the Sahaba did it, unless of course they couldn't at the time, but that was their uh, favorite practice. So he used to recite the Qur'an from morning, begin after Fajr, and continue reciting all day. He used to finish before Maghrib. And the next morning after Fajr, he began again. And this was his practice for years and years and years until Allah Subhanahu wa Taala took him away in that same condition. And the thing is, he would relate how he found total peace in the Tilawah of the Quran. That was his whole life, and he wasn't even a scholar; just a hafiz of the Quran, not a scholar. As for the scholars, they are able to immerse themselves in the tilawah of the Qur'an in such a way that they are in another world altogether. So let us strive to be the ones of the Qur'an who are the chosen people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with increased tilawah and recitation, make it a habit. Once a person immerses oneself in the Qur'an One feels such contentment and such peace and settlement, as Allah promises in dhikr, that one cannot find anywhere else. But one has to try it, one has to become accustomed to it, one has to immerse oneself in it. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable all of us to enjoy the delights of the Qur'an, to increase our tilawah and recitation of the Qur'an, to attach ourselves to the Qur'an, it is a book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a fountain head and the main source of our guidance, our teachings, our laws, our whole way of life and our religion. And by attaching oneself to the Qur'an, the Qur'an, our life will be transformed. Even if you just begin with tilawah, inshaAllah. But at the same time, also try to ensure that you act on the Qur'an. Because as I said, there were three dimensions to the Prophet wasallam's relationship with the Qur'an. The first one was recitation, the two was teaching. So our second duty is to understand the Qur'an, and I will speak on this on another occasion. Third, just as he used the Qur'an to mould the Sahaba, عنهم, our greatest responsibility after recitation, after understanding the Qur'an and reflecting on its meaning and message, is to actually apply the teachings of the Qur'an in our lives. We must act on the Qur'an. We must mould ourselves according to the Qur'an. And i end with one final hadith. This describes both how the Qur'an can transform us and make us fragrant. So Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others all relate this hadith that the Prophet said, it's from Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said. The example of that believer who recites the Qur'an and acts on it. So the words are wa and acts on it. Is like this utruja, the citrus fruit. Which is, its taste is sweet and its smell is fragrant. And the example of that believer who does not recite the Quran is like a date. It's tasted sweet, but there is no fragrance. And the example of that hypocrite, that munafiq, who recites the Quran is like the raihana, basil, the herb. Its smell is fragrant, but its taste is bitter. And the example of that munafiq, that hypocrite, who does not recite the Qur'an is like hanzala, colocynth it's, it's a fleshy fruit. It's not really, a, well, it's considered to be a fruit, but it's actually bitter. The smell is foul, and the taste is bitter as well. It's not really edible. So Prophet says, the example of that munafiq, that hypocrite, who does not recite the Qur'an is like the Alhamdulillah, the colocynth is known as a colocynth in English. The colocynth Its taste is bitter and its smell, and am its smell is foul. So it's a beautiful description of a munafiq who is working backwards, the colocynth The taste is bitter within and the smell is foul without. So a hypocrite is corrupt within and he has no fragrance. Who, because he doesn't recite the Qur'an, he has no fragrance outside either, externally. But the hypocrite who does recite the Qur'an, and we should be very careful, the appearance and the outward exterior may be fragrant, just like the Rehana, the basil. But the inner taste is bitter, i.e. the inner interior is corrupt. And then the believer who doesn't recite the Qur'an, the believer is pious and sincere. But even though their interior is sweet, just like the date, there's no smell to it, no fragrance whatsoever. But that believer who recites the Qur'an and acts on it is like the citron, whose smell is fragrant externally and who is sweet and within. So we should try to, even though we we do so much, we may pray, we may practice, we may try to live our lives according to the teachings of Allah and His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we should at least ensure that the tilawah of the Qur'an is not missing from our lives. We should attempt to recite the Qur'an on a daily basis, as much as possible. There are so many stories of how the ulama and the pious would recite the Qur'an. We don't even need to go back to the earlier centuries, even in the last century. There are examples Of the teachers, of the grand teachers of my teachers. Some of whom, Allahu Akbar, in their 80s, they were over 80 years old. They could not walk 20 paces without leaning against the wall and without stopping for breath. That's how old and frail they were. Yet, the power of the Qur'an was such even though they could not walk 20 paces without stopping and leaning against the wall to catch their breath in their extreme old age and frailty, when it came to Tahajjud Salah and the Qur'an, that same teacher in extreme old age would be able to stand for three hours reciting the Qur'an. Strength comes from somewhere else. And again, another one of my great grand teachers. He was traveling on a ship to to the Holy Land. And on the ship, not the modern-day cruise ships, but rather in the, uh, in the earlier ships of the last century, the most people would suffer from seasickness. And he was unable to stand, even for a few moments, without falling ill. But when it came to tarawih and tahajjud and qiyamul layl, he was able to stand for hours on end, reciting the Quran and listening to the Quran. They draw their strength from somewhere else. That's the power of the Holy Qur'an. So we should try to ensure that although we may be doing good in other ways, our lives should not be void and empty of the talawah of the Qur'an. Begin slowly. And inshallah, if you persist, you may actually see the day when you yourself will be able to complete one hizb, one Munzil on a daily basis, completing the Qur'an in seven days. And Allah grants us even more tawfiq, like many of the people, you may even be able to complete one Qur'an per day. Many have done it, many continue to do it. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable all of us to appreciate the beauty of the Qur'an. May Allah make us amongst those who are attached to the Qur'an, who are the people of the Qur'an.